The following audio is from Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. Oh, what's almost a year-long study of the book of Hebrews, and we come to the very last sermon, the actual benediction in the last chapter. I invite you to join me in Hebrews chapter 13. While you're turning there, let me uh, encourage you not to miss the opportunities of the season. This is a season in which a spiritual conversation or a gospel conversation is often a little bit easier than it would be otherwise. You have friends who would probably never normally respond to an invitation to attend church, but next Sunday is Christmas Eve, and you can say, come and attend Christmas Eve services with us, and even folks who only go on Christmas and Easter may uh, receive your invitation next week. So don't be guilty and not extending that invitation, and I assure, your, assure you that in all three services, the, the gospel will be preached in a way that many, many Montanans would receive and respond to. I want to encourage you in that. As we come to the last chapter of the book of Hebrews, I told you that many times the letters in the New Testament, the last chapters become a little different. They're, uh, they become a little staccato in their approach. They're just giving some quick encouragement or admonition. It's often, don't forget this, remember this, do that, don't do this. Uh, It often includes something personal in nature. And so in chapter 13, we have that as well, a kind of a postscript, if you will, that begins in verse 22. Hebrews 13, verse 22 says, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation. He's talking about receive the letter, receive it. As from the Lord. And here's our indication that the writer of Hebrews was a Baptist preacher because he says, I've written to you briefly. It took us a year to uh, study this, and yet he perceives it as a brief sermon. So just a little, that's as good as the humor gets this morning right there. Verse 23, he says, You should know that our brother Timothy has been released. And we are reminded that the Christians of the first century who confessed Christ often did that at great sacrifice, not only in traveling and preaching and starting churches, but often in, uh, in whippings, in beatings, imprisonment, and death as well. And here we, we discover that at some point in time, Timothy was in prison. Uh, some uh, theologians believe that Timothy was in prison at the same time as Paul, but for the writer to mention Timothy and not Paul would be a very notable absence, unless Paul is the writer of Hebrews. Nevertheless, we know that this writer has a relationship with Timothy because he continues to say, when Timothy's released, I will come to see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders. Remember we talked about the writer of Hebrews does not use the word elder, shepherd, overseer, but the But the broader word of leaders, greet your leaders, greet all the saints. He says that those from Italy, the church in Rome, the church in Italy, send their greeting and grace be with you all. And this is a reminder to us that uh, these letters 
though inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, are also the writings of regular people who know Timothy and know someone in prison and are going to travel and have a church start in Italy. And those believers say hi to you, and we see all of that as well. But this isn't the passage that I want us to look at this morning. I want us to back up into verse 20, and I want you to see the actual benediction that comes at the end of this letter. And in this benediction, we we find these beautiful, eloquent benedictions all through Scripture. But in this benediction, we not only find the the beauty or the, the poetry of it, the blessing of it, but we find the teaching of it as well. And there are There are three teachings in this benediction. First of all, there are three things about God the Father that we're going to look at. There are three things about God the Son that we find in this benediction. And then many times benediction is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But in this benediction, we find three things about God's desire for us and how we are to live. So join me beginning in verse 20. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good. Let's stop right there and let's look at the three things about God the Father that are in this benediction. First of all, the very first phrase, the God of peace. We see that our heavenly Father is indeed the God of peace. It shouldn't... uh, it shouldn't surprise us. After all, it was the angels who said to the shepherds, we bring you good tidings of great joy that will be for all people. When they were afraid, they said, peace be unto you. The scriptures say in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, now that we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness. So we find this teaching about peace. In fact, you know that if I had an incredible command of the English language, which I don't, I still couldn't convey to you how powerful this peace is because the Bible says it is a peace that passes all comprehension. It is a peace that passes all understanding. It's a peace that attends our souls even in the middle of the storm or through the valley of the shadow of death. And it is this peace that God the Father, when he created you, intended for you to have. Your soul was designed and created to have peace with God. And that's why when we look for all the things that the world has to offer, we can own a lot of toys and we can have a lot of money. We can have houses and lands and trucks and cars and vehicles and big bank accounts and still today somewhere on this planet someone who was very well to do will take their own life because they don't have peace there are those in this country the most uh the most prescribed pharmaceutical company in the history of the world who because they don't have peace will take something for stress they'll take something for anxiety they'll take something for depression they'll take something to sleep and still they will not have peace Our Heavenly Father is the only God of peace. There's no other God of peace. There are other great religions in the world. They might be called great religions. They're false religions that say, if if the infidel won't convert, kill him. And in that name, two, no, three, since last night, three suicide bombings, one in a church, one in a mosque, one in a marketplace. They'll make the news later today. 
Is that a God of peace, I ask you? Is that peace? No, it's a cult. It's a false religion. It's a counterfeit. It does not, it cannot offer the peace that God does. And God created you. That you, in fellowship and harmony, as you come to him through his son Jesus Christ in the shed blood, might know the peace that passes all understanding. And we discover this about our God. It is the Christmas story. He came that there might be peace on earth and goodwill to men. We find a second thing about our Heavenly Father. Not only is He the God of peace, but He's the one who raised Jesus from the dead. When you read the Scripture, you read that that God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus Himself said, I lay down my life and I take it back up again. And the writers of the New Testament said that He was raised to the dead through the Holy Spirit. Was it God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit? And my answer is a resounding yes. God, the Trinity of God, the, the triune God was completely involved with all their fingerprints all over the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And why is it that Jesus is resurrected from the dead? That we too may live. That's what Jesus said to Martha outside the tomb of Lazarus when he said, if you believe, you will never die. Do you believe this? And the God who said that to Martha says it to you this morning. He's asking us, do you believe this? Do you believe that if you trust your heart and life to Jesus, if you believe that his shed blood will pay for your sins, if you give him your life, do you believe that you will never die? Some mock that. They mock it because we see people who die around us every day. But they fail to understand that Jesus was talking about the soul of man. He was talking about the spirit of man. Of course, this body dies. The, the Bible calls this body a, a jar of clay, a, a clay pot. The phrase that I use sometimes, you've heard me say, is it's rental property. I, for one, am happy that this body is going to die. I don't want to be trapped in this aging body for eternity. I almost went into eternity this morning. I almost passed out when I went over to tie my shoes. I, I don't want to be in this body forever. I want to be in what Paul calls in 1 Corinthians 15 an incorruptible body, an imperishable body, a glorified body a different body, a resurrected body. It is for that life that you were created. That's where your soul lives forever. And if you have Jesus, if you have the forgiveness of sins, this same heavenly Father who raised Jesus from the dead raises you from the dead and he gives you everlasting life. Say amen. This is who our heavenly Father is. He's the God of peace for here and now. He's the God for eternal life for now and forever but he's thirdly also the one who, verse 21 says, equips us with every good thing. We live in a world that doesn't say very many good things about God. We live in a world that blames God for almost everything. I've heard people say, well, if there's a God, why is there war? If there's God who loves us, why is there cancer? If there's a God who loves us, why is there abuse and molestation? Why is there poverty? If there's a God who loves us, then why do little children get sick? If there's a God who loves us, why are children the victims of their, of their parents' sin and divorce? If there's a God who loves us, fill in the blank. There are so many terrible and evil things in this world that seem to be blamed on God. And yet we fail to take responsibility for our own sin we tell 
we, we fail to take responsibility for the consequences of our own actions, and we want to blame that on God. And the writer of James says about God, every perfect and good gift comes from God. God's the one who gives good gifts. You know that God is good to you simply when you just do this, when you just take your breath in and let it out, and you have the ability to do that. The oxygen is mixed perfectly for you and for your lungs. God did that. God is the one who gives you the ability to earn wealth and have a a roof over your head and clothes on your back and the vehicle that you drove to church this morning. God is the one who gives good gifts. But as you might presume, this particular passage isn't really about the ability to breathe or have a house or a car. God gives good gifts like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. God gives his Holy Spirit. God gives agape love. God gives eternal life. God gives us a relationship with him where we might be called the sons and daughters of God. This is what God does for us. Think about who the Heavenly Father is. If we only had this passage, if we didn't even have the rest of the Bible, what would we know about him? He's the God of peace. He's the God of everlasting life. He's the equipping God, the God who equips us with all good things. In this benediction, however, we also find three things about God the Son. Not only are there three things about the Father, but three things about the Son. Look back in verse 20. When he speaks about uh, our Lord Jesus Christ being raised from the dead, he describes him as the great shepherd of the sheep. Jesus Christ is described as the great shepherd. I, I love the fact that Jesus is called a shepherd. You, you know, sometimes even when you read about the Christmas story and the shepherds are described, they're the lowly shepherds. I identify with that. You may not know this about my family, but my dad's dad, my grandpa Jones, only had an eighth grade education. My mom's dad, my grandpa Roberts, only had an eighth grade education. Neither man never even got through high school. Neither man ever, ever had a job where he didn't work by the sweat of his brow and his own hands and, his, and the labor of his back. That's, that's my legacy. There are, there are no Joneses and Roberts, really, in the halls of academia or the annals of great libraries. Well, my dad got lost in the library once, but we don't count that. That's not who we are. My, my roots, my ancestry is blue-collar. We are regular, everyday folks. And I love the fact that in this ornate and eloquent benediction, the God of the universe, the King of kings and Lord of lords, is first described as a shepherd. That's why David is chosen to be a type of Christ in the Old Testament. When God took him to make him king, he took him as a shepherd boy. You say, well, this is just a metaphor. Okay, let's do it literally then. Jesus was a carpenter from Nazareth. He was an everyday guy. He was just like you and me. The Apostle Paul, when he writes in the New Testament, he says, look around your church. There aren't many noble among you. There's not a lot of royalty there. This is who Jesus Christ identifies. He's the shepherd of the flock. And last week I told you that 
my favorite pictures of Jesus are always the ones where he comes with the lamb on his shoulders. He's left the 90 and 9. He's gone to the wilderness to find that one that went astray. We could stop right here this morning, and we could take the rest of the hour going around the room, and every single one of us could share that time when Jesus came for us. We didn't find him because we were seeking him. We were lost in our trespasses and sins. We had become the prodigal again. We had awakened in the pig trough, and Jesus came for us. He's the shepherd of our souls. This is how he's first described. But he's not only the great shepherd. Look at it in verse 20. Uh, verse 20. He's the great shepherd of the sheep who by the blood of the eternal covenant came for us. And so we see some more things here about Jesus. It's his blood that provides our eternal covenant. Many of us are in our culture today, we're, we're no longer accustomed to blood. You don't go to butchers where they're chopping the meat right in front of you. You go to some sterile place. And even then, many of us, we've seen it, and that's why we became vegans. We just aren't used to it. And yet the Scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Jesus Christ went to the cross. He died for us, and he died a brutal death. He did shed his blood for us, but it wasn't the brutality of the death that made it redeeming. It was the fact that he was the only son of God. He was perfect in every way. He was the perfect sacrifice. And he shed his blood that we might have everlasting life. That's the Christmas story. Because if ever a man was born to die, it was Jesus. He was born, laid in a manger. Beautiful story of that. But that birth was that he might shed his blood, that we might have everlasting life. That's what brings peace with God, is that our sin was paid for. It was atoned for. And now Jesus Christ, look, or the Father, looking through the blood of Jesus Christ, sees us as perfect, justified by faith. But it's not just his blood that I want you to see in this phrase. It's the blood of an eternal covenant. Now, if you were to read uh, Hebrews through seamlessly, like you would read a novel, just never stop, just read it through. And, and if you get a little time over the holidays, now that we've studied it at length all the way through all year, It'd be a, just a, a great, uh, it'd just be a great activity to read it in chapter 1 all the way through. And you'd, you'd read about Jesus being greater than any man, greater than Moses, greater than Aaron, greater than angels. You'd read about the new covenant being better than the old covenant. But not until you get to this place, the end, the benediction, does he call the new covenant the eternal covenant. See, we're not accustomed to anything that's eternal. It can be new. Anybody got the new iPhone? Do you have the new iPhone 8 or the new iPhone X? Because I don't understand why there's two new iPhones at the same time. I still have iPhone 6. Anybody got iPhone 1? Don't raise your hand. It would be embarrassing. Some of you got flip phones. Some of you got rotary dial on your cell phone. Well, what happens to us is you get iPhone 1, you need 2. And when you get 2, you need 3. And they're going to come out with 4. And it goes all the way up. And it's not just phones. It's when you turn your computer on and, uh, and uh, Microsoft or somebody says, hey, uh, there's an update, right? There's a patch. There's a fix. There's a bug. And so you get the update. When you get the update, what is it? The update is 2.1, 2.2. Or they come out with 3 or they come out with 4. I had an update the other day. It was like 10.1.1.2. So we're not accustomed to anything being eternal, and so maybe it is with God. We think, well, there was the old covenant and the new covenant, but maybe there'll be covenant 2.0 and covenant 3.0 and 3.1. No. The writer of Hebrews, if you read it through seamlessly, would say, and Jesus Christ died once 
for all. This is why I can stand before you based on the word of God and say, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. It is an eternal covenant. Say amen. In a really good congregation, I wouldn't have to tell you to say amen. Got to get that. Third thing about the son. Number one, he's the great shepherd. Number two, he's, it is his blood that gives us an eternal covenant. And number three, the very last phrase of verse 21 It says, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all the people said? Okay, you're getting there. The third thing we see about Jesus in this passage is he has the glory forever and ever. It starts with that blue-collar shepherd, everyday guy stuff. It moves to the blood of an eternal covenant. But it finishes with, it concludes with, his is the glory forever and ever. You, you sang uh, just a few moments ago in praise and worship, Gloria in excelsis Deo. And a bunch of you sang that, and you don't know what that means. I, when I was a kid, I just thought, thought the song was about my mom because her name is Gloria. It, it means glory to God in the highest. That's what it means. And that's what Jesus deserves. The name, the scripture says, that'll be above all names. It says the Father has rendered all things into the hand of the Son. That the Father has decided that His would be the glory forever and ever. When we see in Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep, when we see in Jesus His death and burial and resurrection, that He's come back to life, when we see the blood of the eternal covenant, then we see the power in the name of Jesus. When I was a young man who first started to make my way outside of my own family and in the world, my parents were godly parents who loved the Lord, and I gave my life to the Lord as a young boy. When I started to make my way in the world, I discovered that people used the name of Jesus to curse by. I wasn't accustomed to that. It didn't happen in my home. Jesus was precious to me. And people would hit their thumb with a hammer, and they would use his name profanely. And I was dumbfounded. I, I couldn't figure out why anyone would do that, and I pondered it. Why is it that they curse by the name of Jesus? And then one day I realized that if you hit your thumb with a hammer and you say, Oh, Buddha, it's hollow, and it's empty, and it doesn't make any sense. And if you say, oh, Allah, or oh, Confucius, and then I realize that they choose to curse by the name because it has power. Even when Jesus' name is used profanely, it demonstrates His name is above all names. Even the negative, even the sinful, still brings glory to God in the highest. That's who Jesus is. And one day, even those who profaned him, the Scripture says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, not profanely, but sincerely. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. That's who our Jesus is. That's what God's done for us. Now, in a normal benediction, you have God the Father, God the Son, like I said, God the Holy Spirit. But here we also have some instruction for what God desires to see in our lives as well. Look at it here, beginning in verse 21. 
It says that God the Father will equip you with everything good. The first thing that I want you to see about God's desire for you is that he wants us, he wants you to have everything that is good. That's what he wants you to have. We've already talked about that in this world, a lot of people blame God for all the bad stuff, but that's not who God is. God is the one who provides for us everything good. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. It's not just the oxygen we breathe and the roof over our heads and the clothes we wear, but it's God who gives us that which is beyond our wildest imagination. He's able to give more, Ephesians says, chapter 1, more than we can ask or imagine. That You have all the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. This is what God wants you to have. So part of this having has to do with belonging to him. When you belong to him, you have his name. You are his son. You are his daughter. We become child of the king. And in that, in that having then, we have standing with Christ. We have something that we never have outside of him. The, the problem for us when it comes to everything good or the meeting of our needs. If we, if we were to say God meets all of our needs, some of you might say, well, God hasn't always met all of my needs. Well, there's two possible failures in that. Number one, one possible failure is you've made your wants your needs. We do that, don't we? Let's be honest. You don't always need it, but you convince yourself that you need it. With all the Christmas commercials this year, I need that robot of a vacuum that vacuums by itself. I do. And we convince ourselves that we need something that's really not a need. The second problem that many have is that while we have a need, we just have our hand out. Notice that the scripture here says, God equips you with everything good. He's equipped you to meet your need. Have you seen the silly commercial? Uh, it's an insurance commercial. And the way the commercial goes is these two teenage boys, they have a flat tire and they call their dad, but they've got the wrong insurance. They don't have the insurance. Well, they'll come out and fix your flat tire, you know. And then this dad says, well, look, you get the, you get the lug wrench. And the one, guy, the one kid looks at the other and he goes, is this a lug wrench? And he goes, yeah, maybe. And it's a silly commercial. Now, I don't even identify with it because when I was a kid, there was no insurance company that came out and fixed your flat tire. My dad, on as I became a driver, took me one day, he opened the trunk of the car, and he showed me the equipment that was in the car that I could use to fix a flat tire if that were to be my need. God the Father has done this for us, isn't it? We so often cry, oh God, you haven't given me what I need. And he has equipped you, God's word, his indwelling Holy Spirit, the body of Christ, the church. And if you, if you push away the word and you don't follow the spirit and you isolate yourself from the body of Christ, do you really have the right to cry to God, you haven't met my need? No, he has equipped you with every good need, because he wants you to have everything good. That's how he designed you. That's how he created you. And he wants you to have it. There's a second thing in here. He says, verse 21, he's equipped you with everything good that you may do his will. There is a, there is a theology that abounds in America today because it resounds with the materialism of a dark heart. And that is that God wants to give us everything good. 
He wants, to, he wants to give us Corvettes and really uh, Raptors and great big trucks and beautiful homes and big bank accounts. And it's kind of a health and wealth and prosperity. And Americans love that theology. But when he says he equips us with everything good, he's not talking about the superficiality, uh, superficiality of earthly things. He's talking about spiritual things. And then he gives the spiritual things so that you can what? So you can say, look at me. God has given me everything good. No. He gives you everything good. What does your Bible say? That you may do his will. So there's a second design thing that we see here from God. God designs us. He desires that we have everything good because he wants us to do his will. Even secular psychologists say this is a part of your identity. Every person has in them a desire to have or belong, belonging to Christ, that's what we're talking about, and a desire to do. And the interesting thing is, what you have, what you belong to, influences what you do. Even so it is with Christ. Those of us who've been saved by him and belong to him, we should act like him. We are to do his will. He gives us everything good. All his blessings are so what? So that we can go, look at all my blessings? No. All his blessings are given to me that they may flow through me in service and in love and in demonstration of of the work and the power of God. If you're not doing what God wants you to do, the blessings of God stop. You say, oh, I want a new and a bigger house. Well, if you're not using the house that you presently have to do the will of God, I don't, I don't think he's going to give you a new and bigger house. Satan might give you one if it'll just keep you from God. We, I, I, I need a better truck. Are you using the truck that you have to serve the Lord, to do His will? If you're not, you, you really can't look for anything more. He, he doesn't give us stuff that we might have stuff. He gives us the blessing of God that we might be a part of the purpose of God. And so His goodness is that you might do His will. And that's the work that is in us. That, anytime you see that in the, in the New Testament, it's talking about sanctification. Many Christians... Uh, they get justified, and then they sit around petrified, waiting to be glorified. That's not God's will. God's will is that you be sanctified. And sanctification is when my spirit joins the Spirit of God in obedience to do the will and the work of God. And when we do that, here's how it finishes. He's equipped you with everything good. Why? That you may do His will, the working in us, that which is pleasing in his sight. Thirdly, in terms of our identity in Christ, he wants us to be pleasing in his sight. He wants us to have or belong. He wants us to do, and he wants us to be. Even secular psychologists would tell us that the height of identity is being. It's not, it's not the doing or the having, it's the being. Well, wh- wh- where do we arrive at the, at the I am statement? I am pleasing to God. How do we arrive at that? We arrive by the doing and the having. If you don't have a relationship with God, you can't do the will of God. If you're not doing the will of God, you're not pleasing to God. That's the work of it. Now, I want you to know this. God loves you with an everlasting love. He loves you with an unconditional love, an unfailing love. He never stops loving you. Your your life and the performance, the good works of your life don't get you more love from God. He couldn't possibly love you any more than he already loves you. But that doesn't mean that you're pleasing in his sight. 
Do you understand that? This week I spoke to your staff, the staff of this church. And as I spoke to them about the blessing of God, I said, we have to be careful that we don't make a mistake. When we have the blessing of God, we're quick to presume that we get the blessing of God because of what we do. And many times we get the blessing of God in spite of what we do. The way the Bible talks about the phrase, well done, good and faithful servant, the way the Bible talks about that, not everyone hears that. There are those who get to heaven by the skin of their teeth, and then there are those who arrive as the next natural step from sanctification to glorification, and they are pleasing in his sight. God designed you so that you'd have peace with God. He designed you so you'd have a relationship with him as a son or a daughter. He designed you that you would do the will of God. That's why so many of you are not happy. You're not involved in doing the will of God. And he designed you to be pleasing in his sight, to know his affection. That's how you are designed. And we find that in this passage as well. What would be, for many of us, the greatest Christmas present of all this year? Well, for some of us who don't know Jesus, to receive his gift of salvation. Greatest Christmas present of all, to receive his gift of salvation. For some of us, uh, what, what happens for us this Christmas is we need to make the next step. We've received the gift of salvation, but we're not doing his will. We're still walking like we're in the world. And for some of us who have started to do his will, we need to move on, move forward to well done good and faithful servant. I want to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Christ. That's the beginning place. If you're here and you're a believer, isn't it time that you move past just believing? Isn't it time that you moved to doing the things that you were called to do? Why did God give you so much in experience and in talent and in expertise and in maybe material wealth? Why did he give you so much so that you would have it? or so that you would use it for the kingdom of God. So this morning, I wondered, do you hear the voice of God? Think about how remarkable this is. The book of Hebrews, the letter of Hebrews, was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God 2,000 years ago. Not just that, but it's been preserved by the Holy Spirit of God for over 2,000 years so that this year, you and I could study it and read it. And now I believe that what God said is true, that his word never returns void. And so now after studying it and reading it, God says, I want you to take it and live it and be doers of the word and not hearers only. Is that your decision that you need to make this Christmas season? Father, you know everything about our lives. You know every journey, every experience. You know the burdens that we bear, the prayer requests that we have. So since you know each and every one of us, we know that in a sense, when you speak to us this morning, it's a divine appointment. And we hear you as the eternal God that you are. We thank you for who God the Father is. We thank you for who God the Son is. And we thank you that you created and designed us that we might have relationship with you, that we might be a part of your kingdom purpose, and that we might be able to please you. So Father, we pray that you would do that in our hearts, and in our lives for your glory and honor through now and all eternity. And all of God's people said, Amen. In 2018, I feel led of the Lord to speak to you and teach you concerning the kingdom of God. 
What is the kingdom of God? Does Satan have a kingdom? Is there a worldly kingdom? How do you get into the kingdom of God? What do kingdom people look like? How do they act? Is there instruction for living in the kingdom? We're going to be do that, doing that in 2018. And I want to encourage you to come each week and make that a part of your study. Well, I, I don't want to turn to any other benediction to conclude our study of the book of Hebrews. So let's read this once again seamlessly. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. If I don't get a chance to see you personally from me, from Patrice, we want to wish you a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. God bless you. Thank you for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.